If you have your Bible with you today, I want to welcome you to turn to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we're going to be doing verses 31 uh, through 59. I'll tell you, it brings me joy to hear a running baptistry behind me. Is that thing warm in water too? Is it? Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Somebody, uh, some secret elf came in and fixed that this past week. And uh, big kudos to Mike Hicks. I think you might know that person. So anyways, uh, excited to see in the future baptism as you've been maybe praying about taking that step in your walk with the Lord. It's the first act of obedience for those of us who know the Lord Jesus to step into that fullness of Christ is to obey that great commission in Matthew 28 where the Lord tells us to, to go and make disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe what I've commanded. And then he says, I'm with you always. And then you see the church just excited about it all through the book of Acts as God is on the move and people are following God in, in that way. So it's pretty exciting. The one announcement I did not cover and I want to cover because I'm excited about it is the daddy-daughter date, uh, daddy-daughter dance that we have planned um, April. And there's a QR code on a poster just outside in the hallway. Like if you have daughters or know some men who have daughters, this is going to be a great opportunity. If you're like me, I'm always looking for some way to take our daughters on a date or spend time with them and, and do that. And so anyways, I'm excited about that opportunity. Uh, Mo and some others are really running point on that, and it's going to be a good, good time. So just wanted to cover that as well. John chapter 8, we've been going, we're going to pick up today in verses 31 uh, through 59. And uh, it's, as we close out this chapter, we're going to see some things here. The question we're going to have as we, as we look at the text is genuine faith. What is genuine faith? But let's read the text, shall we? John chapter 8, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, there's a word to underline, in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is that you say you will become free? And this is important. We'll talk about this in a little bit. Jesus already assumes enslavement among them. And they're going, we've never been enslaved to anyone before. Which is ironically not true because they had. But they're thinking about the spiritual just because they know he's speaking spiritual. All right, in verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because of my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Boy, Jesus is stirring it so well here. He is showing deeper spiritual realities to them. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I've heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. 
They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your Father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. him. And when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him. The only thing they're trying to do. This is like a little kid trying to fire back some sort of pebble, right? In a rock fight. And the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Okay, child, sit down, right? Like that, that's where we're going, right? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do, but I do know Him, and I keep His word. And your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw it at him. But Jesus had him, hid himself and went out to the temple. I believe this account is necessary because I believe it led to his crucifixion. It's this kind of stuff that gets Jesus killed. But all he's really doing is laying out some things that he wants them to see. And he knows he's talking to hard-headed people who believe they have faith in the one true God. Yet the answer really is in the text, what is genuine faith? What is the difference between faith that is real and impactful versus faith that's not real? Believing something maybe just about Jesus versus actually believing in Jesus. Like we can all take these things and these facts and even the text starts out in verse, uh, in chapter 8 where we started in verse 39. Um, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him. They are believing in Him, yet Jesus is now auditing, auditing it. He's challenging it to make sure their faith is genuine. And the more we begin to realize, they're more kind of like trying to follow Jesus on the shock jock reality and not the true reality that He is God in flesh. And so how we understand that today, I think would be easy for me to say three ways, three things genuine faith does, all right? Um, Genuine faith, number one, abides in His Word. 
genuine faith abides in His Word. And abide is a weird word. That's why I told you to like underline it. Um, because I've never heard anyone really use that language outside of the New Testament. But, but it is used in the New Testament. In fact, um, let me just define it for us. Abide. And here it is on the screen. To remain in, hold to, to preserve in through all seasons of life, all circumstances, in every motion. Every emotion, sorry. This is what abiding hints to. It's a hard word, but yet it, it's not a hard word, is it? I mean, I remember talking to my son Andy, uh, and he dropped some big theological thought on me. I was like, man, what do you think? From your mind, and I think he's like 10 at the time, what do you think from your mind Jesus means abide? And I read him the verses where Jesus says abide in John 15 um, in me and I abide in you and if your words and all these things. And he's like, you know, Dad, sit there for a minute. I think it means stick with Jesus. And I was like, yes, that's it. Stick with Jesus. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean to abide in God? It, it means we obey it. We hold God in His Word at highest authority. We treasure His Word. We desire it because we know by it we will have life. But the thing is, do you really see it this way in your life? Do you really have found this? Maybe not perfectly, maybe not even uh, to the way you wished it was, but at some level of consistency at least a desire for this. You know why I, why I want to abide with the Lord? One, because He's the Lord. He's the maker of life. He says, and, and if you follow me, you will, you will see life and have life. But even then, also in John 15, we get the hint of that our prayers will be answered. I mean, imagine like living a life so in step with God that you know what is already in His will to pray for and you pray for it and God is answering it because His Word so abides in you and you so abide in Him. You have stuck with Jesus so much that literally this is a reality for you. I want that. I want that. I want to be that righteous man that His prayers unveileth much. I want to be a man that is full of the Holy Spirit. And when I sit down with someone that's hurting, I don't conjure up phrases that Lee has memorized, although Lee does that somewhat well. I want to be the guy that knows what is literally going on, whether they have even seen it yet or not. And the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me. And I'm able to look them in the eye and say, are you sure it maybe might not be just this? And they go, oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I want to be full of God so that this is a reality. And let me tell you where that's found. You cannot manufacture this. You have to have genuine faith that abides in God and His Word. That's the only way this is possible. And I hope I've spurred you because that's what I want. This is what I desire for my life. But have you also noticed something about Jesus when Jesus is talking with his followers? He usually brings out the cost, does he not? Like the greatest uh, non-successful way to get people to follow you is the way Jesus does it, which makes me sit back and wonder. In fact, uh, Jesus is more interested in what is important to your soul than just having more followers who don't have a genuine faith. 
I want this church to be large. I really do. Like my personality, my wife gets on to me all the time. I, I love, like, if, I was, I, if I'm not a preacher, I should just be a rapper. I like to have a lot of people around me. I just, I feel comfortable in large crowds. If, if we're going to go to the movies, and I'm like, yeah, let's go to the movies. And I get the idea that it's going to not just be a date night, and she gives me permission to invite people. Now, literally, I'm going to get 20 people going to the movies. Like, we're not, we're just all, we're buying the movie theater. Let's go. Like, that's my mindset. But even I have to catch my heart and say, you know what, Lee, though? Jesus is not always just trying to get fans. He's getting followers. He is more interested in people's soul. Like, who they really are and what they're really experiencing in him. This is what he's after. And that's challenging to me. Because we live in a day of social media. I mean, literally, how many of you? All right, I've already announced my insecurities. So you already know if I make a post on social media, you better know I'm going to audit did we bust the 100 mark yet or not. Right? Like, if I don't have 100 likes, like, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Maybe what I said was stupid. Like, maybe I should just pull it down. It only has 32 likes. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just want to bust the 100. And I have that brain. People have that. Literally, they, they, my wife made a post the other day, and like Lizzie's doing something on our Instagram. We have a family Instagram, and uh, mainly because I want to be on Instagram, but I really don't. So then I'm like, well, just take my Instagram because hers got all busted up. And so now we have this kind of uh, the house of Rev on Instagram. You can follow our whole family's shenanigans. But people love Lizzie. Lizzie trends a little bit more than the other kids. Sorry, uh, Andy, I just wish you could trend like Lizzie. And, but Lizzie, she just grows by like, there's this one video that's growing by thousands, like a couple thousand every day. And we love looking at the number. We're like, Lizzie! 2,000 more people looked at your video today. And she's like, yeah, I know, I know. She just plays it off like, it's no big deal, no big deal. But can I tell you, we need to ask ourselves this really difficult question. Are we discipled more by our expectations of religion and American culture or by what we see in the Gospels? As much as I want followers, as much as Lee would love to know more people, this is really... Not the game. The game is genuine faith, real souls being impacted at a soulish level, people connecting and growing in their faith. This is how, and if, and if that becomes large, then so be it. God be praised. But if it literally just means that we have to come to this level to make that happen, then man, even Jesus does this stuff. In the Gospels, you'll look at him and he'll, he'll have like a big multitude and he's like, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And then they all leave, and he's like, do you want to leave too? You know, and they're like, no, Jesus, but that was weird, right? And then, but then as they lean in, they realize he wasn't being weird. He was being deep. This is what I want you to catch in this part of the gospel. This is important because genuine faith is important at this church. Listen to this, uh, Hebrews. If you ever wonder, you're like, man, sometimes I feel like Lee gets a little bit in my face. I don't like the way, you know, he's like, you know, picking on me. One, I don't even know what you're going through, man. Unless you've told me, and then I probably am picking on you. But Hebrews 13, there's these verses that says this. In Hebrews 13, 7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What a challenge for me. Like, 
Is it Lee worth imitating? And then to me, like 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then he tells them to pray for them. There's these verses that you can just check out, like leadership is important. I mean, Paul says, listen, not many of you should desire it, for you'll fall under stricter judgment. So, when we hear the word abide in in John 8, and we abide in His Word, what is His Word? Well, it's the teaching of the Gospels. It's the provision of His work for us. Abiding in the Word, and He says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. That means that the truth is not just principles that you follow, but it's a person that we follow. Someone once said the truth is not something, it's someone. This is important because in our day and time, we have people that talk like this. They'll be like, hey man, you know, like, it's just about discovering your truth, you know, like what's true to you. And I get how that sounds to millennials and the Gen Zs or whatever or whatever, but the reality is that is false. There is a right and there is a wrong. There is truth and there is falsehood. Myths are a real thing. And like, this is why Jesus is pointing out, you will know the truth. And then when when you know the truth, it will set you free. And so we need to know the gospel. Objectively and subjectively. And if you're like me, you're like, I I understood what those words mean. But then I was like, what do they really mean? (laughs) So like I Googled it. And I looked at it and here's what I found. Objectively, facts. Like, we know the facts of the gospel. I think there are people that do, and if you don't, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to Lee Woodmancy's midweek uh, deal that was like three weeks ago when we were working on the gospel, and we literally go over how to have spiritual conversations with people, and we talk about the facts, and really, here you are, there are four facts you need to know that are present in every gospel presentation ever, because it's critical. God is holy. He's holy, He's perfect, He's without sin. You are not. You are not holy. You are sinful. That sin has separated you from God. Number three, Christ has acted. And then literally, number four, you must respond. God is holy. You are not. Christ has acted. You must respond. But that's just facts. Have the, have subjectively starts bringing in personal impact. Like God is holy cues up how I worship Him. And when I worship Him, there's a peace and a connectivity to the Maker of all things. And literally, there's a freedom and and, and burdens are lifted and things become in the right perspective because God is holy. I am not. So therefore, I'm going to continue to stick with Jesus. I'm going to have to walk with Him, talk with Him, spend time in His Word, ask Him what this means, walk in community with other men and women. And then literally, Christ has acted. It impacts my life because I see that God is on the move and He's continually on the move. Move. And since it's made an impact in my life, I want to go with him. And then I must respond. Other people need to respond to this. And it's important what I do with my life because I'm either leading people to respond to God or walk away from God. And so all these things make an impact in me. The gospel never just changes you on the last day of your life, it's not fire insurance, it's a faith that's real. 
C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, Screwtape Letters, which is kind of like a really cool book if you've never read it. And in the book, there's this one demon like riding another demon who's like a novice demon. And he's like coaching him up. That's the whole point of the book. And he's like really kind of giving you backwards insight to how the enemy works at believers. But in this book, there's this line. He says, what he says, this is where he's writing his buddy about this Christian that he's trying to torment, uh, or book Christian. He says, what he says even on his knees, about his own sinfulness, is all parrot talk. Parrot talk. You know what a parrot is, right? Where you say something like, that's like, like you're a mess. And the parrot's like, you're a mess, you're a mess, you're a mess, you're a mess. All week at the beach, we were talking with Josh, having the best time ever. And Josh loves that phrase, you're a mess. And so Cade's like, Hey, you're a mess. He's like, no, you're a mess. And I'm like, Kate is a mess, right? So literally, we're all like, we're all just walking around saying that phrase over and over. That's parrot talk. Are your prayers parrot talk? You're like, I mean, I don't really know what it means, but I, I was praying with some people, and this guy said it, and it just sounds so eloquent. It's easy to listen in and, and think, man, this is what it's going to be, but Jesus is not calling us to a faith that parrots other people. What kind of freedom? You hear Jesus talking about freedom in this text. It's, it's, as he talks about it, he assumes that they're not free. And here's how we know that they're not free and that none of us are free. Because sin enslaves in two ways. Right? How does it do this? Well, it also, by the way, freedom will come in two forms. But first, sin enslaves us by producing compelling desires. Like I always, one of my buddies once said, if you don't think sin's fun, you haven't tried the good ones. Sin is fun. It is compelling. And by the fact, when you ever go out and witness to people, one thing you want to avoid uh, talking to somebody, or if you are sharing the gospel with someone, and you're like, you know, like sin, it's, just, it's not fun. It's, it's not what God's made. Like most sinners are actually having a great time. And that's why it works. That's why it slaves, because it, it is compelling. So when we actually come to know the Lord, there's actually freedom from domination because sin dominates our life. And if you're like, well, no, it doesn't work that way, man. Like if I'm talking to somebody, they're like, oh man, I'm not enslaved to the sin. I could stop at any moment. Okay, okay, do it. Do it. Don't sin no more. Do it. Oh, you know what? You can't, right? You can't. I mean, if you could... Jesus came for nothing. So not only does it enslave you by producing compelling desires and desires that you can't stop, but number two, it eventually damns you. I mean, sin is desiring something above Jesus and acting on it that literally leaves you to neglect ever looking to Jesus and then also by nature in and of itself damns you. And so we all have been slaved to sin. And we call this slavery because you might say, well, I'm fine desiring things that are more than Jesus. I mean, that sounds free to me. Why do I have to follow him? He wants me to follow him. Now I'm having to follow him. But if I'm all right now, I get to make my own choices. I'm free to be me. The problem is you wouldn't say that if you saw the end of all of your life as destruction. It's like me saying, I'm going to dance in the street. I don't, I'm not going to get hit by a car. You don't tell me what to do. I dance right here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to dance on the street. Yeah. What's up, Lee? I do. I dance wherever I want to dance until the semi. 
This is how this works. Like there, there is inevitably destruction. And I'm actually convinced of this. You can't find fulfillment in this life without a healthy relationship with God. Let me say that because that's like a twofold impact. It's a jab and a punch, right? Because you go, yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. That's some facts there. You know, you can't find it, but I know the Lord. Okay, is it healthy? Is it healthy? You might know the Lord, but if you're not healthy, man, you can't find the fulfillment you're looking for. There are Christians that get saved, don't walk in a vital faith that's maturing and growing and healthy, and they are completely unfulfilled. So you can't find it outside of a relationship with the Lord, and I'm going to say you can't find it outside of a healthy relationship with the Lord. This is why in verse 34, Jesus is talking about practicing sin. He's talking about a sinful nature which makes them slaves to sin. And by the fact of him offering freedom assumes that he knows that they're not free. You know, they're crying out. How do they answer Jesus? Hey, Jesus, we're moral people. But yet they're not going to accept that they were slaves to sin. To be a disciple, we have to come to know how depraved we really are before Christ. This is a big, paramount idea that you catch this. In fact, why do I say that? Because you don't have to turn there, lest you know, I mean, you turn too many places in your Bible and you get bitter and then you don't want to talk to anymore. So, but I'll turn there for us. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 1 and 10. You were dead in, your tres- in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Let me just stop here for just one second. I want to pull out a couple thoughts on this. Number one, he is literally making them reflect back on what they once did because if they can realize what they once were and how bad it once was, they can realize how good this is now and they can stick with God. And then all of that, he's talking about the prince of power of the air, the spirit, that's the devil, And Jesus says in John 8, you're of your father the devil, because literally those that don't know God as father yet are being fathered by the Lord, by the enemy. And so you need to know when you're talking to someone that doesn't know the Lord, they're being led too, but it's just not by the same one that you're led by. And so as we understand that, he says in verse 3, "Among among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That means when Jesus was resurrected by the power of the Spirit and the will of the Father, He was thinking of Jesus and He was thinking of all who would trust in Jesus. How cool is that? At the resurrection, he's like, come here. And you come here, Lee. Come here, Chelsea. Come here, Mark. Come on, Rick. How cool is that? And then he says, by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us to him, with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. 
For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. What are we hearing at? Paul gets born again of the Spirit of God on Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. Goes away for three years and is reflecting on everything he's been taught about God. But now knowing that God literally took him, shook him upside down, made all his pocket change fall out, and now he has to collect him since again and go, whoa, whoa, I just really met God. (laughs) What's this all about? And then he comes to minister to people. I believe you'll have to do the same. You can live out your sin through your morality. So you may go, I'm not really that bad of a person. You know, I mean, I would really consider this stuff, you know, but it's, I'm just, I really don't see what you're talking about. And, and neither do they. In the text in John 8, they are living out their sinfulness through their morality. They are moral people. We all had a master before Christ and we're all worshiping idols. And some of those idols can be our own morality or our own sense of religious, spiritual belief in who we are. Um, Tim Keller says it this way. He says, the Bible says that your day you became free is your dependence day. Not your independence, but your dependence day. Where now you're going to depend on God to bring about good in your life and not just you pursuing good. Don Carson says it this way. You don't have to write this down. It's pretty long, but it's here for your benefit. True freedom is not the liberty to do anything you please but the liberty to do what, you, what we ought. And it's genuine liberty because doing what we ought now pleases us. I'm trying to tell you today to lean into the most pleasurable experience man can ever taste. And let me tell you what it is. Relationship with God. Knowing the Father. And there's four kinds of freedom that will help you here. You are fully free, completely free, and free indeed when you have a, these four things. The desire, ability, opportunity, and literally the benefit of knowing it doesn't hurt you. Let me say it this way. You are fully free when you have the desire, the ability, and the opportunity to do what will leave you with no regrets forever. If what you're doing right now Will it make you happy in a thousand years? A thousand years. Whatever you're doing with your life right now, will it make you happy in a thousand years from now? And if it's not, this is what Jesus is speaking about. A freedom that brings you to something that leaves no regrets with your life and that you would enjoy. For instance, I would say it this way. If you don't have the desire to do something, you're not really free to do it. You might muster up the willpower to do what you want to do, but nobody calls that full freedom. And if you have the desire to do something, but no ability to do it, you're not free to do it. And if you have a desire and ability to do something, but no opportunity at all, you're not really free to do it. Like, that one makes sense for me, right? That's where I click in. Oh yeah, I have a desire, um, you know, to go be a full-time RVer. At one point, I thought that might be something I would love, right? Until I bought one and lived in one for a few months. And I was like, no, range check, 
don't like that, right? But I had that thought. I had the desire. Do I have the ability? Thought I might. But do you really have the opportunity? Uh, no, not really. Okay, well then it's, you're not really free to do that. And then lastly, you might have a desire to do something, an ability, an opportunity, but if it destroys you in the end, you're not really free. It gets you in at the end. Jesus is speaking about a freedom that even in the end, it leaves you with no regrets. How cool is this? Somebody once said it this way. They said, to be happy forever, our sins must be forgiven and God's wrath removed and Christ becomes our supreme treasure. Only Jesus can do that. In fact, He's already done it. He died for our sins. He absorbed God's wrath. He rose from the dead and today is therefore supremely precious and He offers us now that now as a free gift Himself. Do you find this Jesus burdensome? Or do you find Him life-giving? Psalm 34, 8 says that, uh, 34, sorry, 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Consume it. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Whoa, Lee, that sounds like prosperity gospel. That sounds like you're saying, I, all I got to do is delight in Him and then He's going to give me the desires of my heart. Okay, easy, leprechaun. That's not how this works, right? Delighting yourself in Him means I come into relationship with the Lord with where I know the Lord and thereby what, knowing what He cares for, I get a heart to care for. And when you get that kind of walk, yes, He will give you the desires of your heart because everything you desire is already in His will. This is how this works. Jesus gives sweetness to your soul. Jesus is not an end to a greater means. He's the treasure. And actually, for the first time, I actually want to pause on my notes. I actually have more I would love to talk about. But I won't. Because I'm going to follow the Lord in this. Do you really have what I'm talking about today? We could pick up whatever else I have. i got two more points. That can come next week. Do you really have freedom? Do you have the joy of understanding what the presence of the Lord really could offer your life. We always talk about the bad stuff, like, well, like, when I die, you know, then I won't have to go burn in hell. And like, you know, and he, he's, he's all those things. But do you really, have you really tasted, stop looking at this on the negative scale. Have you looked at the positives of knowing the Lord? Like, what, what, what keeps us, from doing that. And I, I want to go back. I want to go back to just these points right here that were, they were maybe even better than we felt in the moment. Sin enslaves us by producing compelling desires. Like, look no further than just young adults who aren't married yet but want to have sex. Oh my gosh, do they want to have sex. Literally, can't handle themselves. That shows you that sin is compelling. 
And so often we hear like, well, like, you know, like God's just like wanting me to miss out. No, I think that there's a, there's a problem with our culture. We created adolescence. Um, if you're in Jesus' day, you would be almost considered adults now. Adolescence comes from the industrial revolution. Prior to that, when you were 15 or 16, your great-great-grandparents were getting married. They were getting jobs. They were doing things in life. They were moving. And we created this gap. And I'm sorry, but we did. We created this gap where it says these years, we can, it's okay to do monkey tricks. But I'm telling you, God, even in adults, we see this pattern as well, that sin enslaves us as adults by compelling desires. So many of us are chasing financial freedom. Like, like when you get that, you'll have it. I mean, like everything on my Facebook reel, the algorithm that Facebook thinks I guess I'm struggling with, literally is all these entrepreneurs talking about personal freedom. You want freedom? You want freedom? And there's dudes literally, like the, the dumbest they can get, throwing money out, you know, or like, or like, you're just burning your money. And then they're burning money on Facebook, you know, they're trying to be really cool. And I'm like, you just burned a stack of money. You're an idiot. Right? And so, anyways, but as I look at this, I see people really thinking that this is what, what it means to chase freedom. And everyone is talking about everything and how you can get freedom, except ever looking at just come to know Jesus. Like, open up your heart to Jesus. And, and how I know that is because everything in the world that the world is offering us doesn't lead us to these kinds of freedom. And a lot of us, man, I think if we really understood this, let me address how I see the caveat. Number one, if you're kind of like on this fence with like really faith trusting God or just kind of staying in like a religious norm. And if you're on this religious norm idea, like, you know, you don't want to like walk it too much. And you're like, but I don't know what this looks like. This looks scary to me. Let me tell you what this does. This leaves you with no regrets forever. Trust Christ. Stop playing a spiritual game. Lean in to everything God has for you and watch the joy that you've never tasted be poured into your life. And that only happens when you finally trust Him. You're like, man, it, it, that, that's pretty scary for me to do. That's going to make me be vulnerable. That's going to make me tell things about things I've never told anyone before because I, I haven't even told God, I haven't told anyone. Listen to me, it'll be the most freeing thing you've ever had. Most people, when I hear them talk about trusting God, they'll say things like this. I feel like the weight of the world lifted off my shoulders. And you go, well, they heard that. No, usually those are unchurched people that will tell me that. They've come to church and they're going, dude, it's like, it was like a weight that was lifted. I'm just telling you, if you're not really connected to the Lord yet, I'm telling you to trust fall today. I'm telling you, jump. I'm telling you, trust Him. You will never regret it. Then some of us, we, we did, but I come back to, do you have a healthy relationship? Is it healthy? This past week, we went to the beach and we shared these videos. And originally, I was like, well, I'm not going to make everybody watch these videos because, I mean, you know, some people are just at different points spiritually. And then I was like, no, they're really good. I think I'm going to make everyone watch them, right? And so I literally started becoming annoying about people watching these videos. But I, I still don't think people caught exactly everything the guy was trying to convey, which is fine. But the reality is this. Uh, 
everything God wants to do in your life that is powerful starts from the inside. Everything the Lord is doing now starts from the inside. And how do I know this? Because the Word tells us this. And if your soul isn't healthy, then, then you're missing something that God has for you. And He wants you to have a healthy soul. So many people have followed God before in the past because of pressure on the outside and not really peace and power on the inside leading them. And I'm telling you, that outside thing is religion. And when you've come to know the Lord, be careful that you don't yoke yourself to religion again. And if you want to know what that looks like, go read Galatians. Paul writes that church in Galatia. They've come to know the Lord. But in their freedom, they strap themselves to bondage yet again to religious things. And Paul pulls out his little teacher stick. I never got hit in the hand. I'm not that old yet. We, they stopped doing that. That was child abuse by my generation. But Paul pulls out the teacher stick, right? That letter is written with, with this kind of like slap on hand stuff. I, you know, I'm appalled that you guys are returning to a gospel. That's not a gospel. That's what he's saying. And what happened? These church people, they tasted freedom and, and they were finally free. But they had been enslaved so long that they thought this, this almost seems too good to be true. And so other teachers came along and started telling them stuff that's not true, but it was bounding to them. And they bound themselves to it. And I'm just encouraging us to not be discipled by the church culture or American culture. Be discipled by the Word of God. Test the things that you've heard against the Scriptures. I pray this makes sense to you today, and I pray that if you don't know the Lord Jesus, maybe you've been churched, but never changed, then I would pray today you would trust Him. Let's pray together as we respond to the Lord. And as we're just praying and reflecting here, maybe you're here and you'd say, Lee, I really don't know if I know the Lord at all or not. I'm not, I'm still, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're here today and you go, I know I don't know. Then I would just encourage you with Romans 10 as you sit there today listening to me. Romans 10 says, if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, they will be saved. It also says in Romans 10, they'll never be ashamed. They won't have regrets. But what it says is that we would confess with our mouth that He is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. What that looks like is you in prayer just admitting, God, thank you for doing what I can't do for myself. And I realize there's not enough good in me to ever change that. But I think you're good. You're holy, and I want to trust you. I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Be the boss. I'm hanging up my church. I'm hanging up my religion. I'm going to seek you, Lord. And then you just say in Jesus' name, amen, because it's his authority. All the truth is granted, and, and amen just means so be it. Father, I pray if someone here today needs to know you personally, make their profession of faith to really walk in freedom the way 
you've told us that we can know you and be free and free indeed. God, I pray that they would do that. Lord, I also want to pray for us as believers. Some of us have tasted this freedom. And we, 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 we took, we partook of it, and but then yet we're trying to fill our life with other things. We're trying to nourish our souls with things of this world and not really seeking you and what you think about these things. And Lord, we're making these things idols. What does it matter if we gain the world but don't have a good soul at the end of it? God, forgive us for our childlike behavior when we run around chasing things in life just like some hot mess person instead of really just sitting with you and learning and listening and stealing our soul before you and so that you could pour into us life and vitality that only comes from you. God, I pray that there would be some of us that would just allow us to experience what it means to, uh, for you to restore the, restore the joy of their salvation. They rededicate themselves to the path of truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't really believe in rededication per se. Because I believe, you know, God dedicated himself to you and you don't have to like continue to do that. And if you really believe in rededication, you may always be rededicating. I do believe in repentance and renewal. It's where we maybe have lived a life in a certain fashion. We're pursuing things in a certain way that is not healthy. And we need to turn from that and, and confess that for what it is and ask God to restore to us the joy of salvation and renew ourselves in His presence. I believe in that 1,000%. And my question today is, you're like, man, I just feel far from the Lord, but I know I know Him. Then here's what I'm asking you. Maybe where you need to do is ask yourself, is God brought me to the point where I need to repent and renew myself and, and walking with Him? Look at 1 John 1, 9. Read it. Understand that 1 John 1 and walk in this thing. The Lord is a gracious God. And He has made a way for us. His Word, it is a light into our, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. It tells us where we are and it tells us where we're going. And man, if it's like, man, things are great. It's really vital in my life right now. Everything's moving and pumping and breathing. Then praise Him. Praise Him because the only way that's possible is His presence in your life. And if you don't have it, man, come to that altar of your heart. Repent and renew yourself in the walk and the confession of your faith. And praise Him. And if you're here today and you don't know him, then I'm inviting you to taste and see that he's good. I'm asking you to take a bite of this thing. And you're like, well, I don't know really what to do again. Then you just come. I'll be here. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to. And, and, and we, can, we can get that started. But the real reality is those are the caveats that we come to today because those of us who can know Jesus will know his word, hear his word, and literally be free and free indeed. You respond as the Lord leads.